Lovely to see so many of you here this morning. And of course, a wonderful opportunity for us to gather together as it is the Lord's Day. And so coming together to worship, uh, to engage in fellowship, and to just receive something of what the Lord is saying to us. I want you to turn in your Bible, please, to Exodus chapter 13, continuing this morning in the series that I have been busy with uh, since last year. And a smaller section of Scripture today that I want to focus on, but some context as well in the surrounding chapters. So follow with me in your Bible, uh, verse 17, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of, cloud of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Just so far God's word. Why don't you bow your heads again just in submission, Lord, we come to you acknowledging unless you, Lord, are at work uh, in our hearts, uh, through the preaching of the word, through the scriptures that we've read, and Lord, even in our fellowship together, no good uh, fruit, no good lasting fruit can come. And so we pray to that end. Continue, Lord, to nurture us, to, to grow us, and Lord, even to convince if there be any among us today who does not believe in Jesus. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I do want to ask you this morning to just think again about uh, the book of Exodus, the well-known story of uh, Moses leading the people out of Egypt into freedom. But I want us to think a little bit about the emotions. What is it that went on in the minds of these people, these ordinary people that uh, had been in Egypt as slaves, uh, generation after generation, now suddenly released after 430 years of slavery in Egypt. Now, in my mind, I'm imagining that they would now be rejoicing forever freed from the whips of their masters, that which they had been subjected to day after day. They would no longer be under the burden of having to produce quotas of bricks day in and day out, building another man's empire and kingdom. They would not have to wake up every morning with the prospect of being treated like animals. I think that these people, knowing that all of this painful hardship and drudgery as a way of life was suddenly coming to an end, must have been cause for great jubilation. 
great rejoicing, celebration, excitement about what the future would bring to them and for them. And so in summary, just simply to say in their minds, prospects, their prospects for the future was good. They would be free to worship God in an unhindered way. They would be away from the enemy. I can only imagine that in their minds they must have been filled with projections of a trouble-free kind of life. Now, having said that, I want us to use that analogy, that kind of thinking, in application to our lives. In many ways, the responses and especially the expectations of the Hebrews, remember having come through a life-changing transition from slavery to freedom, can be similar in some ways to our responses. Your responses, my responses, our expectations, our thinking in the transition of being born again. It's been a change. Take, for example, just what the Apostle Paul says to the Ephesians about what Jews and Gentiles have acquired as believers. Chapter 2 and verse 18 of Ephesians. For through him, Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. That didn't, uh, or that was not true before. And then he goes on. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, becoming part of this community of faith. We have as believers moved away from slavery to sin. We have been moved away by God, by His grace, from allegiance to the prince of darkness, the prince of this world, to what is described again by the Apostle Paul as every spiritual blessing in Christ. You have, if you are a believer, sitting here this morning, uh, enjoying the privilege of every blessing in Christ. Surely that stirs anticipation in your own mind. And, and that anticipation specifically for all sorts of good prospects. Isn't it true? You're looking forward to blessing, looking forward to joy, but then out of the blue, like a thunderbolt of lightning, various difficulties so easily come before us. Your doctor tells you that you've been diagnosed with a life-threatening disease. Now, this is not speculation. I know that this is true of people in our congregation. All these examples I will give you. After the wedding, a young couple, great anticipation of a life together, of happiness and joy. Suddenly, the husband is revealed or reveals himself as a self-centered bully. It happens. Suddenly retrenched. You may not be aware of this, but there are people in our congregation who have experienced the death of a child. Painful. Anticipating a family in other instances, hearing the news from a medical pr practitioner that you are infertile, not able to have children. Or perhaps even in the coming days we will hear suddenly governmental orchestration of persecution toward Christians. You, you get my point? There's this anticipation, having become a believer, of, 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 of that which is good. 
And suddenly these difficulties arise. And, and because of that, everything in you recoils at what is happening and, and feeling punch drunk. That should not be. That should not be. In the life of a believer, we think, we believe. And so we, like the Hebrews, can at times feel cheated and disappointed by God. When the future trajectory of our lives under the leading of God is not what we expected, we are disappointed and we feel cheated. And so my first point this morning is, I want to ask that question. Bring the passage to us here today. Do you, are you someone feeling cheated and disappointed with the way God is directing your life? 2022. Well, the Hebrews, if we go back to the passage, were certainly outspoken to Moses about their disappointment. Things simply were not turning out as they had expected. It wasn't long after the release that the Egyptians were going after them to capture them and take them back to slavery. They were drawing too close for comfort. And in chapter 14, verse 11, they said to Moses, now listen to, to, their, to their complaint, their disappointment, their, their feelings are being expressed. Is it because there's no, there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? There's a cynicism here. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? We are disappointed. A little later, their grumbling continues about lack of provision of food in chapter 16. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. Do you you get the picture? This this thing that we've come to, supposed to be better, it's not better. Why, Why did you bring us here? Why didn't you just leave us in that place? You have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. You see, you see the problem? Their expectations of the prospects of daily life after slavery simply were not being realized, even expressing a preference and longing to go back to Egypt. And again, I ask, is that the way you feel? Do you sometimes feel that way? Your life under God, your life as a believer, is not unfolding in the way you expected. Instead of the pathway being straight, there's so many unexpected, unwanted twists in the road. And so again, I'll ask the question as we confront this passage this morning, do you feel cheated Do you feel disappointed with God for the way that he is directing your life? And so I move, therefore, to a second question in response to that, is how should we, how should you understand the way of God, that the way God is directing your life? How do you put this together? Well, the passage before us today gives us some insight into both the nature of God, who he is, and also the, the way that God works. And I want to show you wonderful conviction, 
I believe that can be helpful to us in understanding uh, how to put this together in difficult times is God knows better. God knows better. Having a look at the passage, we see had God not been involved in the leading of the Israelites, directly leading them in a different direction, they would have done things differently. They would have decided, they would have made the decision, let's go the shortest route, let's get into Canaan as soon as possible, for this is convenient, this is comfortable, it makes sense, it's logical, and yet we read in verse 17, where Pharaoh let the people go, God is the one orchestrating, God is the one leading, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. The way through the land of the Philistines was the shortest way, apparently only a 10-day journey to Canaan. It would have appeared, certainly to the people, to be the most convenient way. As far as the people were concerned, it would have made good sense to head straight into the land of the Philistines, through the land of the Philistines, to get to Canaan. But God knew what was better, resulting in a much longer way around for the people. Verse 17, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. God knew something they did not know. God knew that the Philistines were a fierce and and warlike people. God knew that the people of Israel were not yet up to facing that kind of challenge. Also, God knew something about the people. He knew that they might well change their minds and return to Egypt, that there would be a, a turning back, especially if they had to face battle so soon after leaving their land of bondage. Now, here's the, here's the point, I think, that we need to learn from this passage about ourselves as people. People then, people down through the ages, us in 2022, us at Central. We people are short-sighted, and we have limited perspective. We're finite creatures. We don't, and we can't, see the bigger picture. How do you know what will happen tomorrow? How do you know, how do I know what God is achieving in the broader perspective of life? And so our short-sightedness added to that the unwarranted sense of entitlement. And what I mean by that is we expect God to do things our way. We expect God to, to, to be led by us instead of us be led by Him. That, that kind of entitlement leads us to believe that God ought to direct our lives along pathways of our choosing with constant comfort and convenience. That's what we want. That's what we expect from God. Dear friends, it's far better for us to see and to know that when God leads or directs in ways that we do not understand, that He has not failed. God has not failed. It's not an indication that He doesn't care. And so the difficulties that you face, whether it be your illness, whether it be your infertility, whether it be persecution or unemployment or, or your child's passing, or your spouse's passing, it's not a consequence or symptom of God failing to do something. It's rather we don't understand. We don't know how this bend in the road fits into the purposes that God has for our lives. 
We don't always see the bigger picture of what God is doing. We need to understand the nature of God. We need to understand the working, the operation of God. Given uh, Isaiah gives us a glimpse in, in chapter 46 where in fact God is speaking. He says, I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times to things not yet done. And then this is what God says. My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. All these things fitting into the purposes of God. And so we can easily fail to see that God knows best. Let's remember who God is. Our sovereign, all-knowing, loving, merciful God He knows how the threads of your life and my life need to be weaved together to produce the redemptive good that He intends for you and the world around you. And so I want to encourage you this morning to take comfort from a verse that you know quite well, from Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Number one. Let's move on to number two. God is not fickle. So I've heard uh, from my children, I've heard from other children from time to time that some of their teachers are emotionally unstable and unpredictable. Now I need to just have a disclaimer there. I'm not pointing fingers at the teachers in our church. There's some, we have perfect teachers in our church. All right? So, so, so be relieved. No, no fingers being pointed. But there are some teachers in other places. All right? Uh, one minute, one minute, they're calm and kind. And the very next minute, for no apparent reason, ranting and raving like a lunatic. Okay? I'm seeing some smiles. True? Happens? What happens in those classes? In those classes, you feel like you're walking on eggs. Because you never know, are you going to be blessed with the merit? Or are you going to be slapped with the detention? I have an older sister, two older sisters in fact, but this particular sister, four years older than me, and I remember when we were in primary school, she had a teacher and uh, this teacher, my sister used to come home telling us, man, you never, you never knew where you stood with this particular teacher. One minute she would be so nice and kind, but the next minute she would launch the blackboard duster and, 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 and launch it towards the students, to the pupils. And so they were terrified of, of this teacher. And I, I, I'm scared to mention her name just in case she's still living. But, <laughs> but, but you get my point. In that kind of context, uncertainty, uncertainty is the order of the day. You don't know what's coming. You don't know what's ahead for you. You you don't know, is it good or is it bad? My point is, God is not like those teachers in other churches. Okay? God is not fickle. Neither does He suffer with being bipolar. That's not the nature of God. God is consistently steady. He's true to his word. And if we go back to this passage, we see this truth about God in the text. Uh, Again, you need to unpack something of the context. In verse 19, Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. Well, think about that. For Joseph 
had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones with you from here. Way back before the era of slavery that had now been extended or have, had, had, had been in place for some 430 years, Joseph made his family back then swear that they would take his bones to Canaan and bury them there and, and based on a promise from God. And, and, and he states that in, in Genesis chapter 50, verse 24, Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will visit you and bring you up out of this land to the land he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Joseph made the sons of Israel swear, saying, God will surely visit you, and you shall carry up my bones from you. Now, now do you get the point? More than 400 years later, God visited them in releasing them from slavery. And now his bones were being carried to the land of Canaan. And, and, and Joseph, is, is what we are learning here, knew the truth of the nature of God. He knew that God was not fickle. He believed with certainty the promises of God. He knew that these promises made to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob were reliable. They could, believe, could be believed. He knew that God could be trusted in what he said. This, the fact, now, now think about the 430 years. The fact that Moses took the bones with them means that the promises that had been spoken back then had been passed on succeeding generations, passing on, this is what God has promised, this is what God has said. This is what God had promised, this is what God had said. Not for two generations. I'm thinking 430 years must have been six, seven, eight generations. There were some of the Israelites over those many years who had a settled conviction about the nature of God. God said it, we believe it. So like Joseph, they, some of these people, certainly Moses, we're told, believed the redemptive promises of God that were made to Abram, Isaac, and Jacob, and therefore took the trouble to carry the bones of Joseph to Canaan. So I want to urge you this morning, as you face unexpected, difficult, God-directed pathways in your life, don't forget the consistent nature of God. This God who has made redemptive promises to lost sinners. Now, I want to go a little bit further with those promises. Some of those promises, some of those redemptive promises, have already been fulfilled in the first coming of Jesus the Messiah. Much said, we know, in the Old Testament about the promises of God in the coming of Jesus. And in Galatians 4, we're told, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Consistency of God's promises proved to be accurate and reliable and trustworthy. But then let's look a little further. Some of the redemptive promises will, uh, will still be fulfilled in the second coming when Jesus the King returns, when he ushers in a new heaven and a new earth. And again, we have a glimpse of that in Revelation 21. 
I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. Now, folk, we're not there yet. And I think that's the point I want us to see. Promises made, fulfilled in the coming of Jesus, uh, substitutionary, substitutionary, uh, plenary death of Jesus on behalf of sinners. You can be justified by faith. You are being sanctified in this process of life. But there are promises still to be fulfilled. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes then. And death shall be no more then. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Do you get the point? Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And in between the first, that which has already been fulfilled, coming of Jesus, and the second coming, which is still to be fulfilled, there is something that we can learn from our passage this morning. It's my next point. God is actively present. Yeah, this morning. God is actively present. Let me try and illustrate this to try and make my point. One of the challenges we face as a, as a South African nation is the absence of fathers in families. I dug a little bit and just tried to find out what the facts are. On the 25th of February 2021, it was reported by Stats South Africa in a document entitled Children's Education and Wellbeing in South Africa. So they were considering the well-being of children under the age of 18. The report revealed that 31,7% of black children stayed with their biological fathers. Fuck, that's terrible. One third. One third. Two thirds are absent. It continues across the various age, age, uh, race groups. 51% of colored children don't have their fathers present. 86% of Indian and Asian children and 80,2% of white children. Absent fathers. And I wondered as I read this in the earlier service how many fathers are physically present but emotionally absent and disengaged from their families, which just make these figures even worse. Another report in October 2021 this is a survey that was uh, conducted in Cape Town. It revealed that around 63% of births registered in 2018, had no information on fathers. That's an indictment against men. This report shows, research shows, that most children in South Africa have absent fathers, and it affects them. Now, my point is not that. That perhaps we can take up in another sermon. My point is this, God is not an absent father to his children. Man, you need to, that, that is something we need to treasure 
and hold dear to our hearts. God is not an absent father to his children. So what do, where, where do I get this from, this passage? Well, Moses and the Israelites knew. Let's go back to my heading. They knew the active presence of God with them day and night. Verse 21. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day, the pillar of fire by night did not depart before the people. Now you're saying to me, I know you're thinking, where is it? No, we don't have clouds and fire. For you and me, we no pillar of cloud by day, no pillar of fire at night. But you know what we do have? The promise of Jesus not to leave us as orphans. John 14, verse 15, 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. And then we have Luke recording in his final instructions, or the final instructions from Jesus to his disciples. I'm going to read the whole passage. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you. That everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures and said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You witnesses of these things. Now here's, here's, here's the crunch and, and, and the confirmation of this, this affirmation about our Father God. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Don't forget the presence and the power and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in you as a believer, but also among us in the world. And along, along with that, the complete revelation of His sufficient Word. Brings me to my conclusion. There's no need for you as a believer, for me as a believer, in the midst of the storms of life, to feel cheated and disappointed by God. But I want to add to that, in case you misunderstand me this morning. We are people and we feel sore. We feel emotion. Our hearts sometimes ache because of the pain that we may be feeling and experiencing. But we need to distinguish between that and feeling cheated and disappointed by God. You and I can so easily make the mistake in falling into the trap, thinking we know what is best for our lives. And I believe we need, as men and women of faith, the constant reminder, yes, God's ways are above our ways. Being reminded that we won't always fully understand what God is doing. But we must remember this. It's okay to understand because we can't understand because we don't have His ability, we don't have His capacity to see the bigger picture. Rest assured, God knows better. 
God is consistently faithful in keeping his word, everything in his time, 430 years, or in the fullness of time, Galatians 4, everything in his time for his purposes, for his glory. And so be assured, and and urging you this morning, be assured as a child of God, you're not alone. We are not without the providential active activity of God in our lives. And I want to close with the words we're going to sing, in fact, the song in a moment, the words of the song of Casting Crowns. Listen to these words. They are very, very encouraging and revealing. I am a flower quickly fading, yet today and gone tomorrow. In other words, the songwriter is trying to show us who we are as people. We, we are finite creatures. A wave tossed in the ocean, a vapor in the wind. Still, you hear me when I'm calling. God has an interest in us. He's concerned for us. Lord, you catch me when I'm falling because I do fall, I do fail, I, do, I'm so, I am so fickle. But you've told me who I am. I'm yours. We're going to sing that song. I'm yours. Some of the oldies will remember another song I wanted to sing, but I don't think we know it today. I'm a child of the king. I'm a child. Les knows it. I'm a child of the king. As you leave here today, folk, yes, us uh, oldies are going to sing the contemporary, I'm yours. Uh, You younger people learn from us older people. I'm a child of the king. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that we're not just cast aside, that we're not just left, as it were, to chance, uh, coincidence, but Lord, you're powerfully at work, providentially overseeing, uh, directing and leading in ways, Lord, we know that you are weaving together these hard threads of our lives into that which is ultimately good for us and for your glory. Amen.